This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann, I'm at Otago Polytechnic today, and I'm joined from Whakatane by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well indeed. I'm about to drive up to Christchurch, where you will be eventually this week. Yes, uh, I'm flying down to Christchurch on Thursday, super excited about our conference, and yes, the journey ahead. And who are we introducing today? It is my great pleasure to introduce Jim Metzner. Jim is a singer-songwriter. Uh, he once opened for Pink Floyd at Hyde Park, which has got to be, like, mind-blowingly exciting. Um, he has made his career uh, as a sound recorder, a recordist, recordist, said Jim, yes. Um, and I'm really excited because I just uh, purchased Jim's book, which is Sacred Mounds, uh, for my Kindle, which um, is really cool, and I'm super excited about that. And as we unpack Jim's extraordinary life, you'll see why I'm excited. Kia ora, Jim. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Kia ora. Thank you. Welcome, Jim. Where are you, Jim? Right at the moment, I'm at the uh, University of Otago in Dunedin. But you're not from here. I'm, <laughs> I hail from uh, New York. I grew up in New York, and I, my wife and I currently live in mid-state New York. Uh, so my, my river is the Hudson River, and my mountain range is the uh, are the Catskill Mountains, and I live. When I look out my window, I see the Shawn Gum Ridge. Um, it's on the sacred land, the the sacred ground of the uh, uh, the uh, Iroquois, uh, the Lenape uh, Indians, and other tribes as well. So we started this show at the start of lockdown, asking people how their bubble life was, and then bubbles turned into traffic lights, and then traffic lights turned into well, what we have now. I know you didn't have those terms, but how was your bubble life? Mm. Well, let me just unpack that for a minute. Let me just let that rattle around in my cage for a minute. How was my bubble life? You know, first of all, I, I, I was a singer-songwriter. I never stopped um, writing songs. I still write them. I could write a song about you right now if you really wanted me to. But um, I hope you're going to play, actually, one of those songs. That would be fun uh, that I sent you. But having said that, uh, I spent most of my time for the last uh, couple of decades make, creating radio programs, mostly short format radio programs, and then podcasts, which actually people can hear right now. You could go to pulseplanet.com, or, which is our website, or just go to the podcast platform of your choice. I mean, we're on all of them. It's Pulse of the Planet, and you'll hear the programs. So I've spent my my years doing that. And so when COVID hit, you know, I was originally supposed to come to New Zealand two years ago. I had two days from leaving. And then 
um, everything, of course, you know, all the borders were closed. Um, so I went in, into my bubble, but it's where I'd been all along because when you go out in the world and record sound, it's a solo shot pretty much. You don't really want to be recording environmental or other sounds with other people around because you'll always get in each other's way. And then when you come back, why you're in your studio and then you have a booth and then, you know, you you know that your program is going to be heard by, well, in, in, the, in its heyday, Pulse of the Planet was heard on radio and as a podcast by a million people. Uh, no jive, a million people a week. But when you're in the booth, that's just a concept. Who can, I can no more imagine a million people than I could fully grasp the fact that I was singing in front of 20,000 people for Pink Floyd, you know, after, after the first hundred, it's all imagination. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it, it's like in my bubble, uh, it was sort of life as usual. I didn't get out that much, but I was doing my work. I've been blessed, truly blessed to have a work where, you know, I've, I've been able to work by myself for myself in my little studio and continue that way and share these incredible sounds, some of which I've been uh, able to record as great gifts with the world. So during lockdown, did your shows consist of, and here is the sound of the dripping tap, and here is the vacuum cleaner? <laughs> well, uh, you know, I know you're, you're m- uh, making a joke of it, but sometimes the sound of the vacuum cleaner can be incredibly evocative. I once spent a year asking people, and I could ask you this question right now, and I will, what were the sounds... Don't you just love it when your interviewee turns it around and, <laughs> and starts to interview you? What are the sounds that stayed with you all your life? A sound that you could still hear in your mind's ear. What would you say? Is there such a sound? Oh, that's easy. Uh, Mum had a clock, a, a mechanical, you know, a wind-up clock that had a sort of sort of sound, <laughs> and it's still going at Mum's house. And the three of us cannot tell if it's going. Because the sound is so ingrained in us, we can't hear that sound anymore. <laughs> so the, the clock is inside your head, is it? Really? Mm. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm talking about. Do you have one as well? I what do. do it's actually, and this is a really odd one, but it, it's my mother's ringer washing machine. That <laughs> sound of water going like this, it, I just can remember it. And she always washed the rugby club uniforms and uh, workmen's overalls and things like that. So it just has been this constant all through my life, right up until in my early teens, because it was such an effective machine. She never bothered changing over to the newfangled ones. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. They don't make them like that anymore. I can tell you, they go out, they break, they're, now they're programmed to break every two years. Right, <laughs> right before the warranty runs out. The, uh, or right after the warranty runs out, I mean. Well, every you'd be amazed at how many people have sounds like that. I mean, vacuum cleaners, which is what triggered the association. Uh, for me, I, I have a, a, a sense memory, a synesthetic memory of my mother vacuuming on the stairway. I can see the vacuum. It's an old Electrolux. It had these little gates that opened up in the back. And the whoosh and the warmth and the sound, bring, you know, it's like a Proustian memory. It takes me back. So I spent a year asking people this question, and it was like for a radio program I did for public radio. I, I do stuff for them outside of my own program. And I struck. it was like striking emotional oil. Somebody would say something like, 
oh yes every morning my mother the sound of frying tomatoes that and and i can all i have to do is hear the tomatoes and i'm bad and i'm smelling them and there's my mother and, and it's like this evocative sound that takes you back it is like time travel so there's the um the power of sound and that's also an example of why you could actually find that program called sound memories it's won a couple of awards somebody posted it on youtube i think i didn't but you know go for it it's up there just search my name in sound memories you'll probably find it. it's a good show what got you into sound yeah well i can i can tell you two formative experiences the first thing i ever first person i ever recorded who i really wanted to record was my grandfather who was a very special human being and I was out of high school. I was in drama school before I was a singer-songwriter. Sorry, other career moment. I was an actor. I was trained as an actor at Yale Drama School. It was a good drama school. Um, and the, I was on break from school, and I went back home to visit my grandpa, who had, I'd grown up with. He was the most interesting person in the household, in my opinion. Very quiet man. And I just wanted to, in my bones... Interview him. I had this hand-me-down recorder, a reel-to-reel recorder. The reel's about the size of, um, oh, what is that, the size of a baseball? Oh, you, know, you, you play baseball in New Zealand, don't you? In America, everything is a baseball metaphor. So it's about the size and circum- in diameter of a baseball. Sorry, tennis ball. There you go. And um, the uh, and, I, and I just did it for myself. Nobody told me it wasn't a class assignment or anything like that. And I kept them in a cigar box. And then 20 years later, when I became a radio producer, I took the tapes out of the box and made one of the best radio programs I ever made. It was called Papa. I think I sent you the recording of the song I wrote for my grandfather that appears at the very end of the program. And I got my good buddy... Scarlett Rivera, who used to play violin for Bob Dylan on the on the Rolling Thunder Review. She's a violin goddess. Uh, she plays violin at the end of it. So if you um, listen to the program, you'll hear Scarlett play, and you'll also hear my grandfather and hear that story. We'll play that right now. Oh, cool. This is not the, not the version I was talking about, but it's a good version. And you told me about How you left your country Before the war broke out You landed in New York With a branch of the family tree I remember some vases But they're mostly names to me You were working in your store Tying packages with strings Was I ever really there? Did I imagine the whole thing? But the feeling has stayed with me That it was a magical place I remember it like I remember the look Of love written on your face When I got out of school each day You are there to walk me home I'm ashamed to say that sometimes I wish I walked alone 
When I finally just told you that I'm older, can't you see? You said, listen, you can tell your friends that you are walking me. Later when you weren't living with us anymore I saw you at the hotel, you met me at the door I told you what I was feeling and all of the things I tried When I asked how it was for you, you said you were satisfied Your books and papers And you'd read them as you'd sit Or you'd stare outside of the window And you'd say that this is it Though you didn't talk much I can still hear your words inside You were with me when I was born I was with you when the second part is when I was a student. When I, after I'd been a, uh, a musician, I went. I, I sort of, uh, for various and sundry reasons, which I won't go into, it's too long a story, I decided to go back to school and study ethnomusicology, the interface between anthropology and music. And in so doing, I sort of got back to sound recording, but this time it was with a stereo recorder, with a stereo microphone and earphones. Very different experience from recording my grandpa. And I very still clearly have this memory of putting the headphones on, having the microphone in my hands, pushing the record button. And all of a sudden, at that same moment, by some, it seemed to me, incredible coincidence, all these sounds started to appear. Bells, birds, people talking, bicycles going by. And I said, well, that's, that's pretty wild. What, what an amazing coincidence. And of course, three seconds later, I had the realization that it was not a coincidence, that the sounds had been happening all along but I hadn't been heeding them. And so that was a wake-up call to me that, A, sound recording is the coolest thing on earth. I'm surprised <laughs> everybody isn't walking around with a tape recorder and doing this, and that this is something I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And one of the things that or you, you've done lots of different series, mostly quite short format. It must be quite a challenge doing them in a, that short format. But the uh, one I wanted to particularly talk about was one from 1979, that's featured uh, the um, there's a boy in particular, a ten year old boy, and in, in Boston, um, in the North North End yeah. Feast Day, and it's yeah. just we'll play it if we can. But it's it's just the most amazing thing. How do you do? You just find these these gems? Are you recording sort of lots and lots, and in there there's this, these these nuggets? Yeah, it's a little more of that. I mean, that's a good question. Um, you know, sometimes they find you. You know, a microphone can be an attractor, and sometimes you find them, and sometimes it's as if they were waiting for you to record them, if you can follow the gist of what I mean. You sort of like, you know, that old saw 
about the tree falling in the, if the tree fell in the forest and there was nobody would there to hear it well, how does it go with something like that you know would it would it really make a sound Is, isn't that something like that do you know that one i'm yep, talking about yeah meme I, I don't think i said it exactly right so it's like that a little bit it's like you're as the listener you're validating and in a sense allowing this sound to be remembered and shared but also witnessing it and in so doing you're giving life it's like a feedback loop you're giving life back to it if that makes any sense so the boy i stumbled i mean come on we're going back now four decades so i don't remember exactly but i'm walking around with a um uh this microphone stereo microphone or two microphones and i'm i'm i've got my eyes open and sometimes you just know it intuitively when you've got a person who's like a pinata you know all you have to do is come up with an in and and ever so slightly ask a question or whatever and this kid was like that and he's 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 delightful and you know i mean now he's 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 um, he's a middle-aged he's probably a grandfather now but in those days he was this delightful kid maybe he's a delightful grandfather and he you well, you hear he was just so sweet just and you get the life of this this event through his what he's describing it's hysterical in the next two minutes we'll visit the north end and witness a feast day celebration through the eyes of a 10-year-old boy You get, you get really, really tired. It seems like you're walking around the world. It seems like you're walking around the world because, like, you have to walk, like, like, because you have to, have to carry the flag or the kids. Almost every weekend through the summer, the North End holds a religious feast day celebration. As the figure of a saint is carried through the narrow streets, people lean out of their apartment house windows and toss out dollar bills. They come fluttering down to the procession below and hastily get pinned to the many ribbons which bedeck the statue of the saint. Leading the procession is a contingent of small boys carrying flags and church banners. I get St. Anthony's, right? We like the day of big, big, big bottles of coke, right? We drank them all, right? Because we're so thirsty and take a rest and everything. Right? Then we stop, then we go to that lady's house, right? Like 10 minutes after that, and we have to drink again. And then, then, then you drink so much that you fall asleep while you're carrying something. You walk around, you just feel like you feel, like when you walk around, you see everybody, they think like you're a member, and you just feel good, you just feel good about, just feel good like you're big and everything. In the North End, I'm Jim Metzner, and you're hearing Boston on WEEI FM 103. Jim, before we started the interview, you and I were having a conversation about your book, and I cannot wait to read it. And I wondered if you'd like to talk about that and let our listeners know about your book. Thank you. I'd love to. It's very kind of you to mention it. Um, this also goes back a, a number of years ago. I mean, over 20 years ago, this book had its gestation in being inspired by these ancient 
well, uh, earthworks, you could call them, uh, mounds that really are found throughout the world. In the United States, they're mostly on the East Coast, but really all over the country. And some of them are burial mounds. Some of them were ceremonial. But one of the last known tribes that were in some kind of an association with the mounds, they, they, they performed ceremonies there, were the, Na- the Nachi, or you pronounce it in English, it would be Natchez, but their name for their own uh, nation is the Nachi Nation. And so when I read about the mounds and heard about them, and I'd been to a couple, I thought, well, this is cool. This is unknown. They represent the first places of what I would call spiritual practice in our in, in the United States, at any rate. And yet we don't know much about them. We know the burial mounds, people were buried in them, ceremonial mounds, we know very little. This is an oral tradition and very only a taste of it has come down. But the, they were observed by Jesuit priests who wrote very detailed observations, which were colored by their own cultural prejudices, of course. And yet there's something in them. And so I studied them I went down and to the mounds. I met the the chief of the Nachi Nation. We became friends, and I began to write this book, which is a novel which draws from history. the The history of the the real history of the Nachi is extraordinary. They were and remain an extraordinary group of people. And many of the details in the in the book that go from the past are real and, and sometimes stranger or more um, incredible than fiction. But there is fiction in it, and it tells a story about two people, uh, well, a story about a guy who kind of sort of looks a little bit like me, who falls asleep on top of a mountain and gets carried back in time to pre-colonial era and finds himself in the body of another man. It's not his body. It's, an, it's somebody else. He doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know. Who, what body he's in, he doesn't have a clue, and he's blind. Turns out that the person in whose body he's in is in his body back in our time. They switch bodies through time. Does that make sense? And that's what the story tells about these two men, one of whom knows why he's here, the other one who hasn't a clue. And with the help of two actually extraordinary women, um, they are on a quest which has very much to do with the question the book answers, which is the question, in my opinion, that we all face is, why are we here? I mean, human beings, why are we on this planet? What's it all about? I mean, if you can think of a bigger question, go for it. But that was a big one for me. And that's what this book, it doesn't answer it, but it explores deeply the uh, question and opens many intriguing possibilities. And that's what the book is about. So it weaves history with fantasy in a way that um, I think represents not only the Nachis, but in the service of this important question. And the principal chief of the Nachi nation wrote the foreword to the book, and we've become very good friends. Hucky Field is his name, a wonderful man. Jim, you've had a life of, of being incredibly creative with your writing, with your singing, with your music, with your recording, everything. Every part, it seems like you've just been able to produce so much. I don't know, something to to leave the world, to share with the world, to inspire others. Where did that come from in you? What was your inspiration? Oh, boy, I wish I knew the answer to that. But, you know, the other song, here's a segue, 
opportunity, um, <laughs> really addresses that question. And I'm not going to, uh, I mean, I'll try to address it now, but the song is called In the Dark, and it really orbits around the planet of that, of the question that you just asked. And I think each of us, you know, each of us has a, um, is like a little planet and has things orbiting around us. Some of them are ch our children. Some of them are our passions. And as I said to you when we were off mic before, sometimes it's a bless. Being eclectic is a blessing, and it's a sometimes it's a little bit of a <laughs> the opposite of a blessing. You know what that is, um, because it's like it can be a bit a bit much. And sometimes you want to just say, okay, stop and and just take a breath and um, and don't have all these associations and thoughts so much. Just be here for a moment and and be alive, and that's. And that's enough. And maybe just you can ask yourself this question, why am I here and see what comes. But this impulse to share, I don't I don't know where it came from. You know, my my brother and I were both achievers and it may have had something to do with the fact that our father wasn't didn't necessarily get us. And we were always hungry for some kind of approval. And my brother never got it, really. I mean, he was hungered for it all his life. And and he was in a remarkable human being. My brother was, aside the fact that he was my brother and I can't be objective about him. He was an amazing human being. But he never got an affirmation from my father. I was always hungry for it. And maybe, I don't know, this is psychology 101, I guess. Maybe it has something to do with that. And maybe not. Maybe it's just... Um, a wish, to, uh, the, the feeling, the wonder of being alive and being touched and this very human impulse to share what you've received. And I think any artist of any stripe feels that, don't, don't you think? I do. I agree. It's a drive that makes us want to make things better in a way. It's seeing a different, seeing the world at a different level and wanting to find some way to make it better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, artists uh, find a, a very special place in the ecosystem of uh, the emotional ecosystem in life. You know, I, I don't know what the metaphor would be. You can pick your animal, but um, you know, we, all right, mate, we're like plants, you know, we, 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 we bask in the sun of, of, uh, of all these vibrations, whether they're, you know, beautiful uh, sunsets or incredible visuals that we, that artists labor and transmute into, into visual art. Or maybe we're just listeners, which I am. I'm a, I think of myself as a listener, someone who receives the incredible world of vibration that we mostly take for granted um, and then tries to share it, which brings in mind, and if there's time, another thing I would love to touch on. Can I? Is that okay? Yes. In the United States, I've tried to launch the American Soundscape Project. Soundscapes, just like the word implies, are the oral audio landscape and it can be environmental it can be cultural it can be urban it can be rural what a significant sound sort of like what we were talking about those would be grist for the mill whether that's uh, the um, the clock or the washing machine or whatever the vacuum cleaner the church bell the the well pump uh the song that some the, that someone used to um, the word that only your family knows about, you know, the sound of a screen door, whatever the sounds are that are important. And of course, you know, the big New Zealand sounds, the Kiwi, the whatever, the, the, the incredible bird life that this country is gifted with, all of the above. For people to, to crowdsource the, um, the sound and share them, 
um, because sounds are as much as important as the visual landscape. They need to be celebrated, and they're not. We don't go to galleries. We, we do go to galleries and see what photographs and pictures, and that's all great um, paintings. But very rarely do you go to a museum or a gallery or whatever that celebrates sound. And I'm trying to find ways to do that. And I would love, says he, getting to the point at last, to launch or midwife or catalyze a Sounds of Aotearoa project, which began two years ago when I was originally going to come here and COVID got in the way. It would take a Kiwi to do it. It can't be me, but I'll work with whoever or whatever group or person wants to do it. So if anyone, as we used to say in the radio biz, within the sound of my voice, is in love with that idea, then get a hold of the station and they'll put you in touch with me and we'll make it happen. You can see on Facebook, it was a nascent Sounds of Aotearoa project, but it really needs to be, you know, to really happen. So maybe there's a senior out there who, someone who's retired, who's looking for it. Maybe there's a young person who thinks this is a cool idea. I'm going to be given a keynote at, in Wellington um, at the uh, annual convention of the Acoustical Society of New Zealand at the end of October. And maybe I'll find uh, an acoustician there who would be willing to do this. But somebody, I would hope, would be willing to grab the baton and, and run with it and create a, a, a project that encourages people to hear, identify, hear, record and share these sounds now in the u.s sorry to go on so long about this but i'll just finish the thought now my apologies for being long-winded if you go to americansoundscapes.com soundscapes plural americansoundscapes.com you'll see there's a, a beta project and there are some actually pretty great featured soundscapes but there are also a couple uh, from listeners, in fact, a few from New Zealand. It's not American, but it's all grist from the mill, in my opinion. Um, some some students at the college where I've been work, uh, working with at the, the um, uh, University of Otago, I'm incredibly grateful to Professor Nancy Longnecker and Je the department head, Jesse Baring, for bringing me uh, to work at the university and the Fulbright Commission as well. Thank uh, Gratitude for that. So with working with them and their students, um, you know, we were going to do this. And now um, I just hope there's a way that the uh, Sounds About the Aurora Project can happen. In the morning when you wake and your dreams are fading fast For your very first step is taken, there's that feeling that the magic has passed This is the way Beginning. This is the day that you start These are your chances of winning This is the road to your heart Oh, you just might take it Oh, you might break it Oh, you might make it up as you go, there is no road now, there is no game plan, where you're headed, you just don't know, it may seem like you are taking a walk in the park, 
But you're still afraid of the dark Come your new time, you're better sinning To the voices in the air In your ghetto where I'm whistling You'll be settled back in your easy chair This is the world in vibration This is the eye of the storm Everybody's tuned into some station program to conform. You just might shape it or try to tape it or else escape it once and for all. There is no shortcut, there is no sure thing. Not trying to tune in to long distance call One day you'll fly in this freezing alarm Ah, but you're still afraid of the dark Favorite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. 
I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars, and your beloved universes. And I really hope wherever you are, whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining, and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique. And here, making things better. Thank you. Thank you for the way that only you see the world. Thank you for all the gifts that you share each day. Thank you for your unique contribution, your unique skills, your unique perspectives, your unique voice, everything you bring. Thank you. Kakite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Jim Metzner. Before Tahu, we had Jim's song, In the Dark. It's got a line in it. You make it up as you go along. There's no roadmap. For the, it also says, this is the way that hope began. And the theme of our show is positive but not deluded. And then after a while, as in a few months ago, we were convinced by a guest that we should change it to a dash of deluded. In your experience, what's the importance of that positive mindset and how do you manage that that balance of that critical and creative within that? Can I tell you a story to answer that question? Is that all right? Of course. Thank you. Because I think always people listen to story. You could be listening to somebody and somebody says, I'm going to tell you a story. And all of a sudden, the, atten- the antennae grow another couple of inches. They say, oh, a story. Well, I was um, getting married. Um, my first wife and I were getting married. And um, in the wedding procession, uh, it's a Jewish ceremony, but uh, in the procession, the um, actually was officiated by both a rabbi and a priest because it was like an intercultural marriage. So my wife was um, wife to be was in front of me, flanked by her mother and my mother, and I was flanked by my father and uh, my fiance, soon to be wife's father. And I already told you that my father was not big on affirmation. I was being kind. He was, I would call him the crown, the crown prince of negativity. Oh, yeah. You you with me on this? So yeah. he he would always see the glass not only half filled, but even if it was filled, he would like, you know, criticize the quality of the water or something like that. He was he would have made a, a brilliant uh, troubleshooter because he's always finding fault with it. So here we are, we're walking down the aisle and the um uh, as it were, it's outside, you see, we were in the Redwood Grove, and it was an outdoor wedding. And uh, because the rabbi showed up late, the musicians weren't there. And so we were walking without music. So a friend of mine who had showed up with his violin climbs into a tree and starts playing this violin music, except he had his violin in open tuning. So this was not the Pachelbel canon, I can assure you. This was something that never existed before and will never exist again. It was it was odd, but it was um, uh, quirky, I would say, and and yet somehow life-affirming and cool and a lot of smiling faces, except for the old man who looks at, turns to me and looks at me and he says, this is the kind of music you're playing on the wedding? And that is the moment when, the, when your question comes to bear. I've dealt with it for a lifetime, and I, by this time, buoyed by the goodwill and the love in the air, I t- and knew what to say to him. I turned to him and I said, 
well, dad, we, you know what? We did it for you. And he's like, Ooh, you did it for me. I said, I knew you wouldn't have been happy unless you had something to complain about. <laughs> Actually, I said it in Yiddish. I would have, I said something to, to kvetch about, but that's the same thing. I knew you would have been happy unless you had something to kvetch about. And he got it and he cracked up. And so that's the, if there's an answer, and I don't know if there's any one answer to your great question, it was with humor. It was with having us taking a step back and seeing that, well, there's, got, there's always a funny side to this. And that was how I've ultimately dealt with my father, who never, I wasn't going to change him to, to, to the end, but I could deal with it with a sense of humor. And that was, you know, one of the better moments. You've described your work in Soundscapes as creating time capsules. And we heard from the, the boy from Boston, I, I don't know if he or the boy from now would sound like that now. And I'm, I'm thinking of obvious markers in time, t- sounds that have gone away. And I'm thinking of the internet dial-up mm-hmm. sound as a really obvious sound that everybody knew but doesn't exist anymore. Do you think we're going to have sounds like that associated with a pandemic? Is, is this time going to be have, a, have a, a, a sound environment around it? Well, if anything, it's the uh, the the yin of the yang of the pandemic is has been the absence of sound, relatively speaking. So, if anything, that will maybe never quite be the same. I don't know about New Zealand, but in the states, there was less air traffic, there was less car traffic. Things closed down. There was a time for people to nest up. And so the sound of the pandemic was the sound of silence in a way. Cue Simon and Garfunkel. I mean, you could, but it, it was that. Now, so that's what, what comes to mind is the lack of, of, of sound. And, and then the increase. So that lack, I am told, I'm not sure I have evidence of this from my own experience, but I'll just quote what I've heard about. Apparently, there are some species of birds that some researchers think because of this lack of human sound, there was more birdsong. Now, maybe that's true and maybe it's not. I don't know. But that's a, a possibility, a uh, possible answer to your question. And, you know, in my own life, as I mentioned, things didn't change that much. So, you know, did I become more introspective and maybe have less thoughts going on in my head. So it was more relative silence. If so, that would be a good thing (laughs) for me. I don't know what it was like in the States, but certainly here during the times of actual lockdown, recognizing that that some people did that hard. For most of us, it really was a time of a reset, a time of uh, Rahui, a time of thinking about regeneration. And as you say, it was a time of silence. But no matter what we thought we were going to do, we pretty much rushed back to being busy and being noisy. Yeah. Are we somehow addicted to this noisy environment we're creating around us? Well, that's a very good question. Before we do that, what does Rahui mean? Sorry, I don't know. It's a pause. So uh, if we, uh, as Māori, if we put uh, Rahui on the water, it's because someone passed away in the water and, we, and, we, and it needs time for the energy to clear. So a Rahui gives us a, a moment to pause, to reflect, um, to take an action that needs to be taken. What a wonderful, I mean, the fact that that word exists and that concept and that practice exists is extraordinary, I think. And uh, we don't have any that I can think of except the word pause, which, of course, doesn't have any of the nuance of what you just described. It does bring to mind a practice in Japan, something called the ma, 
which is an in intentional pause. It's usually, I'm sure it has more resonance than this, but um, in meetings, you hear sometimes that when uh, in negotiations uh, between, between the Japanese, who are very good negotiators, uh, with others, they'll just stop midstream. And all the, uh, uh, on the Japanese side of the negotiations, they're sort of cool about it and they know what's going on. It's the ma. It's the time when you just shut up and nothing happens. <laughs> and, and with Americans who were like, come on, let's get going. What's going on here? Hey, they'll fill the gap. And more often than not, it's that old adage in business, whoever speaks first loses. It's you're creating an opportunity here for whatever, creativity, new thought, stepping back. But the Americans or whoever it might be, the Westerners, jump in and so forth and so on. But the Ma is there for another purpose. Yes, I think the short answer is yes. And I mean, you know, that's why the people in that room couldn't grok couldn't understand. Does the word grok mean anything to anybody? There's a 60s meme. Oh, it's a, a Heinlein, Robert Heinlein, where it means sort of understand. Do we really understand um, the fact that um, we are this associative merry-go-round cornucopia of, of thoughts that just is relentless? We're not only, the sounds are not only outer sounds, but they're inner. And then because we're afraid of, of, of uh, silence in a certain sense, put people in a silent place like an anechoic chamber or a desert, and many people freak out in those situations. Um, we, um, we then go for the fact that, that we, we want to be fed by sounds nonstop, and sounds do feed us. So it's a bit of a... A conundrum. Sounds literally charge the brain. And there's a difference between sound and noise. Do I want to, in New York, there's a particular subway station, 14th Street subway stop, where I don't want to hear that sound of the squealing brakes of the subway. It hurts me. But do I want to hear, for example, a shakuhachi flute? Do I want to hear a stream? Do I want to hear something from the sounds of nature or one of the incredible birds of New Zealand to nurture me? That's a different story. Sounds feed us. There's a man named Alfred Tomatis who, um, whose whole life was based on the, his discovery. He felt that certain frequencies of sound, around a thousand cycles per second in particular, charged the brain. He was particularly fond of Gregorian chant and, and um, Mozart. In fact, somebody wrote a book about it called The Mozart Effect, about this phenomenon. I don't know if it's true, but I think there's something to it. That we do, I do absolutely feel that music feeds us. Don't you think so? I mean, some music just feeds us. It's like it's like nourishment for the for the brain and for the soul. Are we addicted to to a world of of constant changing a sound? Probably, yeah. And that's I don't know if that's necessarily good things. Double edged sword. There's an interesting game that you can play on Google Maps where it drops you in a random place. And you have to figure out how where you are with the fewest moves and things. Or yeah. is there an equivalent for sound? Do you think if yeah. you were to be played a sound from somewhere that you would think, I know where that is, that's the, the corner of such and such? Boy, that's a very good question. Um, that, I think, has to do, uh, segues back to the sounds of Aotearoa. It's another way to ask, well, what are the sounds that are particular. Surely there would be one. Okay, Big Ben in London, the signature sound. The cable cars of San Francisco, signature sound. Um, 
what would be one in New Zealand? Let me throw that question back at you. What would be a signature sound of New Zealand that's nowhere else? The cracking of the gla- one of the glaciers. The, it just makes such an incredibly unique sound. There you go. Or um, birds. The bellbird or the tui. Yeah. When, or kiwi. Yeah, in Australia, the lyre bird. So, yes, absolutely. Play things that are, that are I'm thinking of another human sound. In um, Mexico City, the traffic policemen have a very particular kind of whistle that they use that I've never heard anywhere else. There are sounds. Um, in, um, in Japan, they do the chorai, which is this um, exercise, morning exercise. It's, it's, it's um, to a Western eye, it's sort of funny, but the Japanese are very serious about it. They do exercises to this pre-recorded thing that comes over the radio and, and this whole factory will get out and they'll do exercises and that particular sound of the of who, uh, the radio broadcast that does the exercise is a very Japanese sound. Of course, there's more serious stuff, you know, Shinto prayer and Buddhist chant and all of that is very particular. But it's a great question. I've just thought of another one, the womp of a poi. Yes, the womp I- of a, the womp. That is exactly <laughs> what it is. You can make a whole study of words that describe sounds. Always falls short of the mark, but every once in a while you get a great word. That sounds like one. So this is a bird. A boy is a bird, is it? Or what? It's um. Have you ever seen it? They're like a ball about the same size as a baseball, uh, and they're on a plaited string. And um, they traditionally were used for weapons, but they're also part of dance in Māori culture. No, I know nothing about them. So it's not a, it's not a senti, it's not a, a creature. It's a thing. No, it's a thing. And I'm going to find something on YouTube to send to you, so you know what a poi is. And I'm so glad you used the baseball metaphor. So, but it's used in, a, in, a, is it a game? What's the practice that it is used in? Um, you use them. They're they're on a long string, and they're part of dance and creativity. Um, sometimes I've seen them used overseas with fire, like a fire poi. Wow. Where people um, make them make them burn, and that looks amazing. It's P O I poi. So that would be of every all the ones that you've said. That would be the the one that I would say. Hey, record it and send that and make that a sound of Aotearoa, or send it into the American Soundscape project. When you go to americansoundscapes.com, you can see there's a way, very easy way, you can record on your iPhone, you know, this is the first time in human history that everybody in the world practically is walking around with a sound recording device in our pocketbooks or back pockets. So let's make use of, you can make really good recordings with these things. So my mission, what, not mission, my, um, my, uh, what's the word, my wish uh, for you, but it has to have more of a oomph, more of a womp <laughs> to it <laughs> would be to go out and record the womp of a poi, please, and send it into the American Soundscapes project. We'll we'll say, look, this isn't from America, it's from New Zealand, but hey, listen to this. This is incredible. I want to hear it. Will you do that for me? Will you record one and send it to me? I'm sure we can do that. But for I now, I have some questions to end the show and negative time to Ooh. do them, so we're going to have to wriggle through them. What is the okay. biggest success you've had in the last couple of years well i'll just give you one biggest success i've had is the the culminating element of my career to have my entire life's work of recordings acquired by the library of congress in washington dc it was done acquired a couple of years ago but just this last week coincidentally they announced it and so the, this has been a whole flurry of 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 media and this and that and the other thing all due to the um 
Library of Congress acquiring my stuff. You know, it's, think about it. It's your life's work now being held in perpetuity in one of the greatest institutions in my country. That was huge. We are writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team. What's your superpower? <laughs> oh, God. I'm the ear person. I'm like the Ferengi. I'm, I'm like the listener, except my ears aren't so big. So I'm the, the listener in the room who, um, or in, the, in, in there who, um, you know, is a witness, a listener, valid you know listeners help speakers there's a feedback loop if you know somebody you know when somebody's listening to you right you know when somebody's not listening to you and when somebody's listening to you they're helping you so i'm the listener in the room that's my superpower do you consider yourself to be an activist i'm an active listener a pa- actively passive listener and that that may sound like a, a a contradiction but it's not you can be a listener and sort of just you know be be quasi there but if you're actively receptive you're um, you're an activist in that way now do i jump into the fray sometimes i do when it's necessary i and you know that's another story so what motivates you what gets you out of bed in the morning <laughs> mm. partly it's habit Partly I know I have to get out because if I'm going to have a morning meditation, I can't do it in the prone position. I have to get up and sit on a cushion and uh, and actually get out of bed and actually awake. I think awakening is a sacred act, and, and it happens first thing in the morning and hopefully during the day as well. And so what motivates me is trying to stay awake in every sense of the word. So what challenge or opportunity are you looking forward to in the next year or so? Oh, man. I mean, it, as a, as designated listeners, you know the answer to that question. I've got this uh, the soundscape project. I've got, oh, I'm, I'm right. All right, here we go. I'm, I'm writing a memoir called, it's, it's not written yet, so I, I, I would say you can't get it yet. <laughs> oh, send, send me an email and I'll put you on the mailing list. It's called Adventures of a Lifelong Listener. And the subtitle is, you ready for this? The Magic Wand... And the breadcrumb trail, adventures of a lifelong listener. So what would you think the magic wand is? One guess. Microphone. Bingo. You win. And <laughs> all right, trickier one. What is the breadcrumb trail? This is a harder question. The, what's, I mean, we all know the, 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 the metaphor. We all know the story that it comes from, Hansel and Gretel and many fairy tales. But what could it be in sound recording? What do you think? I think it could be that it's you end up that the hours of recording that you've found and finding the linking together the nuggets through that. Very closely. Boy, you're, you're, you're like winning the jeopardy contest. This is um, very close to the mark. Every time you make a recording, it is like a breadcrumb trail and you can make that journey again. You can follow the breadcrumbs. You can go back in time, listen again and walk alongside that kid in the north end of the festival. You can follow the breadcrumb trail. So that's what that is. So where that, that's a project. That's my next project. I'm writing it now. I'm trying to write it now. Uh, and it'll be an audio book and it'll be a print book. And in the print book, there'll be QR codes so that people can read and along and then hit the QR code with their smartphone and hear the sounds. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Yeah, well, right there, advice to me is shut up, Jim. You've been talking too much. But uh, (laughs) I hear you. I will. Um, Advice to listeners. Well, maybe just this. Thank you 
for having the patience to listen to this uh, program. Thank you for gr the great questions. And maybe just remember, as I, uh, I think we all need to remember, that you don't necessarily need a tape recorder, but it certainly doesn't hurt to have one, to discover or rediscover that we live, we're in the middle of an incredible, never-ending, ever-changing world of incredible sounds that are feeding us constantly to, um, to wake up to that, to let it in, and to listen to it and be nourished by it. That's my advice to myself and to you. Thank you for that. Moira. Jim, it is a pretty great gift that you give the world when you record the truth of it. Not staged, not contrived, just the truth of, of just being there in the moment. And I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing with us today. And thank you for all the sharing that you've done throughout your life. Uh, and I cannot wait to read the book that I just got and the one that comes after it. Shoulder. Thank you. Thank you. It's, a, it's an honor to be here and an honor to, and a privilege to be heard by you and to speak with you. On Thursday, October 6th at 6 p.m., I'll be giving a public talk at the School of Performing Arts at the University of Otago. And then on the Saturday, October 8th, I'll be giving a master class from 10 to 4 p.m. And that is also um, open to the public, but you've you got to make reservations soon. And that's in the Ahoyo building at 133 Union Street East at the University of Otago. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic, which is brought to you by Tupikina. I'm Sam Roman with Moira Karatai in Fakatani, and we've been joined by Jim Metzner. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. Matiwa. <laughs>
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.